Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. We've already understood the fact that this commandment is the inheritance of all saints of all times, and this commandment is addressed by Christ strictly to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of a person that, that is sent by God have never had any part to the inheritance that is contained in this commandment, and it is doubtful that they will ever be able to. As it relates to fulfilling this commanding order to be vigilant over the word of God within your heart, as God is vigilant over his spoken word within the temple of our body, we stop to study the following question, what specific goals does the righteousness of God pursue that we are collaborating with within our heart? And in part we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant where we in the death of the Lord Jesus died by the law for the law so that we in new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of Christ can receive justification or would be able to receive justification so that we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected so that in this way we can obtain confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of Christ so that we can provide God with the proper grounds that he needs to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham or his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 therefore the covenant of peace in the heart of warriors in prayer 
is the result of the obedience of their faith to the faith of God that is spoken by his delegated ones. Therefore, by what we can see here, the faith of God, the faith of God is not emotions and feelings. This is information that comes to us by listening to the word. Our faith is the strict obedience of the word, the faith of God. And so God's faith is the general and our faith is the warrior in prayer. Is the soldier who obeys everything that he hears. Therefore, to examine our heart as to whether the peace of God is governing in it is possible by the ability to be a peacemaker this characterizes us as the sons of God we continue to study the question by what signs do we examine ourselves that we have the rule of the peace of God in our heart which identifies us as the sons of God and as the most holy blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God Matthew 5 9 to be a peacemaker it is necessary to have the atmosphere and state of peace within your heart And this is not earthly peace. This peace God makes with a person when a person has cast off of himself the old self. He has renewed his mind with the spirit of his mind and has begun the process of clothing his body into incorruption. This is when God can make a covenant of peace with man. Until this time, he is not able to make this covenant and there's no opportunity to do so. And so people have a worrying heart. They depend on their feelings, they're in panic, because today they feel as if God is close to them, something has happened. But they come out of the church, some time passes, the emotion has left them, and in their mind God is left also, because it's their emotional God. We have an informational God that comes to me or comes to us by the information, through information we hear. And so to depend on an emotional God is destructive and foolish. And we need to remember that. The Lord has already led us out of this emotional storm, and so let us not fall back into it. Six signs by which we need to judge of our belonging to the sons of peace have already been subjects of our study, and we stopped to study the seventh. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. To clothe us is to proclaim the truth that's in our heart, confess it. In this way, we clothe ourselves into love because the truth of God is the love of God. It is presented in the bond of perfection, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It is not God that will put it on you, but you will put it on yourself. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. The peace of God can rule in our heart upon the condition that we begin to clothe ourselves into God's love. That is, into the truth that we have concealed in our heart by confessing with our mouth the truth that is concealed in our heart, the undamaged truth. 
that is presented in the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ. In Scripture, the holy or selective love of God, agape, is presented in Scripture by the Holy Spirit in the light of seven unchanging virtues or components by the preached word of the apostles and prophets that in essence are the unchanging virtues of the qualities of God Himself or open up to us the nature of the heart of our Heavenly Father. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. God is good, and only He knows what good and evil is, and He does His good work. And when He does His good work, in this good work, He shows His wisdom, His knowledge. And in this knowledge, He also shows His self-control, and so forth and so forth, until all of this is crowned with God's love. God's love <clears throat> is the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, in a specific format of the seven gar- given characteristics of virtue that united identify the goodness of God within our heart. We have already studied five characteristics and have been studying the sixth. This is the calling to demonstrate the unearthly power of brotherly love. <clears throat> and it comes from godliness, as we, we know, show in your godliness, brotherly love, having this great and noble component in demonstrating brotherly love in our faith moves us, literally moves us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. And so physically, of course, we cannot sense this uh, passing from death to life. This happens in the spirit and we accept this and we comprehend it and we accept it to a <clears throat> to such an extent that our body will eventually sense that and our emotional horse will be disciplined and he won't go where he wants to go but where we want him to go and when he gladly will follow the confessions of our mouth we know that we have passed from death to life we don't he's not saying we feel or we think we know that we have passed from death to life this is a confident statement he's making And it is based on information of the preached word that in his time the apostles received from the mouth of Christ himself. And so John says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John uh, 3.14.15 And so a person who is a murderer is the one who hates his brother. What does it mean to hate your brother? It comes from jealousy. Where did Cain have this hatred toward his brother and he killed his brother? Because of jealousy. His works were not righteous, Cain's, but Abel's works were righteous. And when people see your righteous works, those that are close to you, if they have not thrown out this jealousy, have not cast off of themselves their old man, then uh, jealousy arises within, and this jealousy overgrows into hatred, and they become murderers. If they don't timely wake up and take note of what's happening inside, because millions of Christians conceal this, and they have a mask of pseudo-godliness, They mask their jealousy and hatred toward one another, trying to present themselves as something they are not. 
And so, relevant to this, as with the previous components of the virtue of God and His unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the seven characteristics of virtue, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the power of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith in a specific format? We already looked at these three questions and have been studying the the fourth question. By what signs can we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith? We have already studied the first five signs by which we can judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith and stop to study the sixth sign. And this is our ability to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let our requests be made known to God. Let your gentleness be known to all men. I will remind us that this place can be rephrased in a way let your light be known to all men. You are light to the world, and so let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. This light is in gentleness or meekness, the discipline of the tongue, the tongue that is disciplined with the truth that is in the heart. <clears throat> Why? Because the Lord is, is at hand. Be anxious for for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. When you have a disciplined tongue, you are no longer anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you present your your uh, desires before God, you need to always know that the desires you're presenting are God's desires first and not yours. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 5 through 7. And so, this is a place where no unclean bird can come, or an evil thought, as we say. If thoughts are floating over our head, and as Martin Luther said, They can fly, don't worry, as long as they don't weave a nest on your head. That means that Martin Luther (coughs) was not in uh, Christ. uh, And the reason that is evident here is because he would not have stated this. Uh, And his teaching, as they say, birds fly, but don't allow them to weave a nest. But when your thoughts and birds are flying there, uh, when your mind is in Jesus Christ, they won't even be flying there. Only heavenly birds, uh, revelations of heaven, will be there that will be able to perch within the branches of our tree. And so even the smallest of seeds, it, when it is planted, <clears throat> it grows into a large tree, as we know. And there, the birds of heaven are, are, are nesting and perching. 
And so we've noted that in this place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit and the quality of gentleness by the means of which we are called to discipline our tongue by the truth that is concealed within our heart is contrary to the character of the work of the flesh that reveals itself in disobedience to the truth or not believing in the truth. What is disobedience to the truth is not believing it. If a person believed and trusted and obeyed, he would not be disobedient, he would be obedient. The ability of a gentle or meek person to not be anxious about anything when it comes to his well-being on earth is contrary to the anxieties of a man who is not able to discipline the desires of the flesh. However much you give him, it's never enough. However much you give him, even if you give him the entire world, he'll say it's still not enough. It's still not enough. I want heaven. That's what the cherubim cherubim on high, that's what he did. He wanted to rule the heavens. He wanted to be God himself. I remind us that as one emperor, he persecuted Christians. And in one of his uh, wars, he he had a fatal hit. And he uh, was dying and he said these words. Well, Galilean, you did win. He wanted to be greater than Jesus, the Galilean. And he was persecuting Christians and and killed Christians and condemned them for things they were not guilty of. And when he was dying, he did acknowledge that, that authority, the authority of the Galilean over himself. But unfortunately, this did not do anything for him. He did go to hell. As many Christians go to hell who resist the truth the words spoken by a person whom God has put teachers that we elect for ourselves vote for democratically their lips cannot be God's lips they don't have seed of the word they don't have revelation they will tell us what is pleasant for us to hear but thank be to God that you left this kind of foolishness and have acknowledged over yourself the authority of a God, of God, the person whom God has put in this place. <clears throat> and so the ability of a person, of a gentle person to be anxious for nothing when it comes to his well-being on earth, as we talked about, is contrary to the anxieties of a man who is not able to discipline the desires of the flesh. As it is written, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4, and so perverseness, breaking of the spirit, is when a person dies to God. A broken spirit is one is a person who died to God. If we don't discipline our tongue with the truth in the heart, but first you need to accept it, you need to first make your heart uh, a, a good soil and cleanse it from dead works, then the seed of the kingdom of heaven can be received into our good soil <clears throat> and then grow from the seed, the tree of life. Only then will we have the ability to discipline our tongue. First, anxiety leading to the breaking of the born from God's spirit of man are bonds where a person is bound with various forms of phobias of non-existent fear because he has not grown the fruit of righteousness in his heart in gentleness with which he is called to discipline his mouth by which he can judge then that he is demonstrating the power of brotherly love in his faith. 
and it comes from his godliness. Second, anxiety that a person is bound by is a result of his ignorance, which is identical to something occult that is contrary to the liberty of Christ, called to deliver us from the slavery of sin, to make us servants of righteousness, capable of disciplining our mouth by the truth that is concealed within our heart. Third, such anxiety indicates bad soil of the human heart, which a person refuses to clean from dead works, so he can receive and grow within the good soil of his heart the fruit of gentleness in the form of the tree of life. This can clearly be seen when you compare the meaning that is contained in these two two different words. One, they're contrary to one another in both character and origin. And so, anxiety and gentleness. Preoccupation or cares demonstrated in anxiety is disobedience to the word of truth spoken by one whom God has placed. This is unbelief and disobedience to God's faith. This is an undisciplined tongue by the bonds of gentleness, something occult, a hard heart, a net of the evil one that a person has caught himself into. This is a path to death. Gentleness that reveals itself in a disciplined tongue is the tree of life that is grown in the soil of our good heart. This is obedience of our faith to God's faith. Wisdom, strength, firmness, and a power of our spirit. Trust upon God in mercy and compassion for our neighbor. These are nets of the kingdom of heaven that we have caught ourselves into by confessing the faith of God that is within our heart. This is the truth of the word. Anxiety is demonstrating disobedience to the order contained in the body of Christ, and it members a person to the category of lawless men who resist the truth of the preached word and try to clothe the works of the flesh into garments of an outward appearance of godliness. I will, I will say something more. Why a person becomes rebellious? He is not obedient to the delegation that's in the church, the, the word that is uh, placed <clears throat> from the one placed by God because he's drunk. he's a drunkard. So you understand why. It's not because he just hasn't come out of his carnal state. He hasn't come out of it because he's a drunkard. The scriptures say, do not drink wine but be filled with the Spirit. Do not drink wine from which is dissipation. This word dissipation in the Greek is translated as perverseness in all aspects of life. Perverseness in all aspects of life. Corruption, perverseness. This doesn't happen immediately, it happens eventually. And so when a person legalizes Uh, the drinking of alcohol, that this is not a sin, either half a a glass or during a celebration, it's still okay to drink a glass, then in this way, he, uh, uh, little by little, this perverseness takes hold. This is uh, a corruption of, of God's order, of the Word of God. He no longer sees the Word of God in a undamaged form. You tell him the truth as in an undamaged form, but he corrupts it himself because in his own mind. He does not acknowledge uh, sin as sin and that it needs to be overcome. 
At the same time, the gentleness of the heart, which makes itself known in a gentle or meek mouth, is an identification of the fruit of the Spirit, testifying of the presence of the grown tree of life within the spirit of a person. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. Proverbs 15.4 A component of the fruit of the Spirit, the quality of gentleness with which a person disciplines his mouth, with the truth that is concealed within his heart is testimony that he is clothed into the mantle of a student of Christ, a royal mantle of a student of Christ, which gives him the ability to learn from Christ, to resist the words that come from his personal flesh for the benefit of opening his mouth to confess the truth that is in his heart. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, 28-30 for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the yoke is the perfect <clears throat> will of God. And Jesus said, the yoke that I carry, it is good because it is God's will. For him, it was a pleasant to fulfill God's will. He said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, my father. And it was his food and his drink. And he said, take this yoke upon yourself. And when you take this yoke, then you will be able to learn from me gentleness and humility as I have learned from my father. <clears throat> my heavenly father <clears throat> humbles himself with the word that comes out of his mouth. He disciplines himself with that word that comes out of his mouth. And so maybe a person, a carnal person, this is surprising to them because they don't consider God as humble. They consider the son of man humble before God's will. But they can't imagine in themselves that the Heavenly Father uh, humbles himself before his very words that come out of his mouth. He makes himself a servant of his own words, and he walks in the light of his word that we ourselves are to walk in. And so to examine ourselves on the presence of a gentle heart which makes itself known in a gentle mouth, disciplined by our trust in God and upon His Word, and waiting for the coming salvation of our soul and our body, we turn to the phrase by which we need to differentiate gentleness from non-discipline and wisdom from foolishness. <clears throat> and so a gentle mouth, a meek or gentle mouth, is always wise but a non-disciplined mouth is a foolish mouth, a foolish person. This is by our ability to make our requests known to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, upon the condition that the essence of this request is disciplined by the bridle of gentleness, which demonstrates itself in the desires of God identified as the will of God. This is a format of such praise where we are obeying our faith to the faith of God and count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, proclaiming the not-existent stronghold of incorruption in our physical body as existent, and God accounts this to us as righteousness. When Abraham spoke and he stated the non-existent as existent, God accounted to this to him as righteousness. And it was the fruit of righteousness, it wasn't justification, it was grown. And so, when we confess, we bear fruits of righteousness to God when we say, Lord, thank you that you have erected within my body the stronghold of incorruption I have accepted by faith into my heart, your promise about the redemption of my body. And I thank you and when you thank God, you've accept this, accepted this and thank God for this, then God sees this as a finished work. The time is now then to wait 
for it to come to pass, the time that God has planned. And He will make it happen. He will bring it to pass. Because within our heart, it is clearly written who we are in Jesus Christ, who He is for us. Because He says, write the word so that the reader can easily read it and write it clearly on tablets. If it is not clearly written, God won't fulfill what is not clearly written in our heart. An infant doesn't have anything clearly written in their heart because they only just point their finger either into the Bible or into the air into heaven. Uh, And so Paul says being in the state of infancy, we just look in a mirror dimly as we talked about and when we and when we look into this uh, glass as, as something dim, that's how we see it, the word. But God does not have this dim mirror uh, where he can look. He has only, <clears throat> he doesn't have glasses. He has a clear vision. And if in our heart, it won't be clear for ourselves what we're confessing, what this promise consists of, how it needs to happen or when when, and what we need to do, then God won't be able to do anything for us even though he, he wants to do it. And so having the presence of a thankful heart that with thanksgiving opens its, its desire and prayer to fulfill the will of God is how we determine that we have in ourselves the existence of the fruit of gentleness. Why does a person thank God for what he's asking? You need to ask, and you say, well, why should I ask if God knows what I need and place it upon my account? When I ask with thanksgiving, I, at this time, take from my account. We, t- we have upon our account, you have money, but you need to write out a check or have a card that would be able to access that money. And so that card that you use to access the money is thanksgiving. We think, we know it's already placed upon our account. And so why we ask, because so that God not violate our sovereignty. He, he, he won't do it, so we need to ask Him. He, he won't do it until we ask Him for it upon His conditions, of course, according to His words. Because to draw the favor of God upon ourselves is only possible in the instant when we present our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which gives God the basis He needs to show and confirm for us His salvation. What is praise in the form of an offering? We know that praise is prayer. We we present this in prayer and song. This is an offering, and as it is an offering, it's a prayer, it's an offering, it needs to be in the format of an offering, who offers His praise to me whoever offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright I will show the salvation of God Psalm 50 23 how do we offer praise to God this is to sing and pray to God when a singer comes out to sing and he's just showing his professionalism and the beauty of his voice this isn't not an offering to God that's why you see a beautiful song as if it's it's lovely and it se- sounds great, but something's wrong. But then you hear a song that may not be professional or maybe even have uh, flaws in some way, but you su- are surprised 
uh, how it dry it brought you to tears, or and so of course we want to <clears throat> we want uh, good voices. Of course, when it's when it's possible to to have that, and but I just want to I just want us to understand that the the importance of who we do it for. <clears throat> if I do it for the Lord and I sing for the Lord, I at this time meditate and I direct these words to God as my prayer. The one then that listens to me, it captivates that person because these words are living. And so one song will be different from another because one song is an offering and the other is not an offering. When it comes to God showing us His favor in His salvation as a response to the offered by a sacrifice of praise means to become for us the guarantor of the salvation of our soul and our body. Therefore, it was necessary for us to remember the criteria that identifies the essence and status of legitimate praise in Scripture called to be a sign of brotherly love. The purpose that a fitting form of praise is called to fulfill in demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith coming from our godliness, the conditions that elevate our praise to a status of legitimacy by which we can judge that we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith that comes from our our godliness. We already looked at the first three questions and have been studying question four. By what signs do we judge that we praise or that the praise that we bring or offer to God is present in the atmosphere of brotherly love. It's brought as an offering that passes us from death to life. In a specific format, we already looked at three signs by which we need to identify the essence of a fitting form of praise that is called to be present within the atmosphere of brotherly love and stop to study the fourth sign. <clears throat> the fourth sign by which we need to determine the essence of a fitting form of praise which comes from our heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love will consist in our praise that will be within the boundaries of the sacred word hallelujah which identifies in essence what a fitting form of praise to God is. Hallelujah, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor the wicked will see it and be and be grieved he will gnash his teeth and melt away the desire of the wicked shall perish psalm 112 1 through 10 the word hallelujah is a formula of of israel praising and thanking yahweh in practicing service to god that as the word amen has been adopted by every other language without translation specifically by the presence of this formula either by at the beginning of or end of a specific place of scripture, we can then identify the essence of the fitting form of praise that exists in the said place of scripture. If we see at the end the, there's hallelujah or the beginning, that means in this song, 
psalm or in this place of scripture, there's a fitting form of praise present and what it consists of. In the given situation, the word hallelujah that begins this place of scripture consists of 10 components. It, it, it contains 10 components which identify the essence of a fitting form of praise to God that comes from our righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love that moves us from death to life. First, praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love is called to make itself known in the fear of the Lord together with a great delight for the commandments of God. Second, praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love is called to make itself known in God's descendants being mighty on earth in whom the upright nation will be blessed. Third, praise to God is called to make itself known in wealth and riches in the house of the righteous, where his righteousness will endure forever. Fourth, will make itself known in the light that will arise in the darkness, demonstrating the fact that this person is gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. Fifth, is called to make itself known in the goodness of the righteous person, consisting in him being gracious and lending, and that he will guide his affairs with discretion. Sixth, praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love is called to make itself known in the fact that the righteous will never be shaken and his name will be an everlasting remembrance. Seventh, it was called to make itself known in the fact that the righteous will not be afraid of evil rumors or tidings and his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Eighth, praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love is called to show that the heart of a righteous person is established and he will not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. Praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love will make itself known when the righteous has dispersed abroad and has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever and his horn will be exalted with honor. Tenth, praise to God coming from a righteous heart within the atmosphere of brotherly love is that the wicked will see it and be grieved. They will gnash their teeth and melt away, and the desire of the wicked shall perish. And so let us pay attention to the first component uh, contained in the boundaries of the formula of the word hallelujah, identifying what praise is and what qualities it demonstrates within our righteous heart. Praise to God demonstrates itself in the fear of the Lord together with great delight or strong love for the commandments of God. As it is, strong love for commandments or God's commandments is a result of the presence of the fear of the Lord in our righteous heart. We will take into consideration the fact that we are partakers of the wife who fears God, who is the church of saints, who contains the order of the kingdom of heaven and one that resists churches with a democratic structure when studying praise in the fear of the Lord which prompts a great delight for the commandments of God. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31, 30, 31. It is not possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit not having salt, which indicates sanctification or any other area either if we are not possessors of the fear of the Lord. According to the given proverb, we conclude that a woman that fears God is a symbol of the church where the truth is preached due to which the saints put forth all their effort and are able to fulfill 
or are able to be filled with the fear of the Lord, and she shall be then given a reward from the fruit of her hands, and her works will praise her at the gates at her place of dwelling. Therefore, so that we as the woman who fears God, we can be filled with the fear of the Lord, it is necessary for us to comprehend how the scriptures define the good works of the woman in the form of the fear of the Lord. And for this purpose, it is necessary for us to first collaborate with the Holy Spirit as it pertains to Scripture. And second, it is necessary for us to use all the potential of our reasonable and willful abilities. And of course, to penetrate and learn the given discipline, it is necessary for us to answer a series of questions, the essence of the fear of the Lord, the purpose of the fear of the Lord, the price for obtaining the fear of the Lord, and the results for implementing the fear of the Lord. So, first question, where is the wellspring from which the fear of the Lord flows, or what is the essence of the fear of the Lord? If the fear of the Lord is absent in man, then all of his good works will qualify as evil, as evil works, as the fear of the Lord is one of the components of the fruit of virtue or fruit of good work. Everything that is not done within the fear of the Lord is considered evil, whatever we may do, however we may uh, give our body, we give it as a sacrifice, we <clears throat> we give all of our possessions, spend them for someone else, uh, this will be uh, in vain because it is not clothed into the good work of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. He shall be filled with delight and in the fear of the Lord. When are we able to be filled with the fear of the Lord? We ask the question, when we, when are, when we shall stem from the rod uh, uh uh, from the rod of Jesse when we receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life and this can happen when we leave our nation the house of our Father we die in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our nation the house of our Father and our destructive desires in this way we will cleanse our heart and after we cleanse our heart we will be able to receive the truth the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ and after we have the teaching the truth, the teaching of Jesus Christ that's put into our heart, then the Holy Spirit can come <clears throat> and give us revelation of what this truth means that is in our heart. <clears throat> and that is when the Spirit of the Lord will be upon us and being upon us, He will be the Spirit of, of wisdom, understanding, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and then we will be able to be filled with the fear of the Lord and being filled with the fear of the Lord we will be able to judge not by the side of our eyes or decide by the hearing of our ears the world contains or a congregation that calls itself a church but does not teach the fear of the Lord and is only familiar with it in the in the, in the form of slogans, loses its right to be called a Church of Christ. If there's no fear of the Lord, it can't be called a Church of Christ. If they don't comprehend what the fear of the Lord is, can't identify it. In the world, can, there is a countless form of real fear and countless forms of phobias. 
presented in the form of a forced state of fear that in reality is not a threat to man. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. Proverbs 28.1 Here it's talking not about the world. The wicked one is one who is previously holy and then resisted the truth of the preached word and said, well, I have my own opinion, I have my own Bible, and I myself understand what is right and wrong and what is good and evil. And so he has decided to uh, question the truth that was spoken from the stage and began to consider his own opinions instead. And so the wicked, as it says, flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. Lions are very surprising Uh, beasts. They don't have the sense of fear. You can... You can shoot from behind him, and he won't—he won't react at all. He'll just lay lay there. Any other animal, if you uh, create a very loud loud so- uh, sound, he will—he'll become alert, and that includes a a bear. If you just sh- uh, yell from behind, an animal will either, and even a lion will either. Their heart can explode or they can have a, a, a another accident that may occur. I saw a situation where a uh, something fell from a tree on the head of the, of the of the bear and he got he became so afraid that he uh, I, I saw a, a dog once he was he was uh, in our neighborhood and he was very large and so when he, he was laying, I just hit the hit the fence, and the dog began to shake and and show its teeth. And the owner came out and started asking the dog, uh, "What what is going on? Uh, what's go- what happened to you?" And and the dog is still like shivering, and so the reaction of animals. But a lion, something very loud will occur from be- from behind him. Birds are scattering, animals are running, but he's quiet, he's calm, he's laying, he's not even turning his head. He's not reacting to anything, he's not afraid. And so, it says here, but the righteous are bold as lions. Why is he so bold? Where's this Where's this coming from? There's so much noise here. They're going to say there's going to be a war, uh, there's going to be a famine, There's climates are changing. People are running from one state to another state. You need to run here, you need to run here. But... These are just calmly gathering. Why? Because they are within Jesus Christ. Their uh, unclean thoughts will not enter. And so, practically, the entire world is permeated with similar phobia fears, but all of these forms of fear are incomparable with the nature of fear that comes from the powerful, all-crushing, and all-creating awesome name Yahweh. In the Bible, the word fear is a substitute of various forms of suffering as well as various forms of of comfort. Fear can be in the form of suffering if it is human, demonic, and the fear of the Lord can also be a form of comfort. We'll see this further. For example, when the word fear is translated from the Greek word thlipsis as anguish of heart and grief, The focus is the external reason for the fear rather than the inner state of the person. 
There's a fear relating to suffering from birth pains. When a woman is about to give birth, she's afraid because she will hear a lot of information about uh, experiences that she's going to be facing. And sometimes even the pain is so overwhelming, women die. Suffering from birth pains, fear of an enemy, fear of death fear as a constant satellite or constant companion for man who commits evil, and finally, fear of judgment day. Apostle Paul was familiar with specific forms of fear uh, that were linked to his calling for the entrusted to him souls. There's also a fear that exists of being rejected by God. This one has to do with the question of salvation. In addition to this familiar to us fear, we see in the Bible a fear also that is produced by loneliness, and you can be freed of it by having fellowship with Jesus. In this world, the heart of a believer is always anguished with fear, but Christ has overcome the world. This is why the scriptures offer a victorious over overcoming of the fear of the enemy, hell, death, and judgment, loneliness, in the fear of the Lord. A person who does not experience fear before God merely lives a worldly life where there is no more place left for fellowship with God. In the moment when your connection to God is severed, a man's life in the world loses its purpose and its goal. As only God can be the true foundation and true purpose of life, therefore this person then develops a fear of vengeance for rejecting God. And to silence this sense of fear, a person together with the deceptive powers of darkness creates and continues to create or make various forms of entertainment, distracting, silencing, and drunkening his conscience. I don't mean in the world. I'm talking about in the church. And the saddest of all this is that he greets death in the same numbed-out way and practically only comes to his senses when he is already coming out of his body. A person who learned the fear of the Lord and who fills himself with the fear of the Lord becomes free of all forms of fear. Looking at all of this, we need to keep in mind that the capacity or extent we fill ourselves with the fear of the Lord is the capacity or the extent of how much we will be freed from earthly fear and phobia, because specifically your proper regard for the fear of the Lord will determine our legitimate relationship with God as well as our neighbors. However, to be filled with the fear of the Lord, it is necessary to determine its wellspring and give it, give it an identification that God has given to it in His written words. First, the fear of the Lord is one of the names and virtues of our Heavenly Father. One of the names and virtues of our Heavenly Father. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. Isaiah 8, 13. Here the Lord is called fear and dread. Therefore, the place where God dwells, as well as the acts that God performs, both bear the fear of the Lord. False miracles and signs in churches, as it is, blind a person and produce euphorias, noise, disorder, and arrogance. At the same time, signs and miracles that are performed by the Holy Spirit enlighten a person and produce the fear of the Lord. Second, the fear of the Lord flows from and demonstrates itself in information, which is the wisdom of God, giving us the ability to know the essence of the commandments of the Lord and to do them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111, 10. 
And so when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, wisdom in the heart, this is the fear of the Lord, according to the given place of scripture. And it is not the only one. The fear of the Lord is the wisdom of God that reveals itself in a faithful or correct mind that is placed in dependence of fulfilling the commandments of God. And so when our mind is placed in dependence of our spirit where the commandments of God are, there the fear of the Lord is demonstrated. That means we have it. The fear of the Lord is independence of logical and rational forms of thought and the gained by us life experiences. In other words, if this would be just that and nothing else, then there would not be fear of the Lord because according to this place of scripture, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. The reason for many errors, deceptions, and ignorance are contained in the depends of dependence of our mind on our own personal opinions or the opinion of the majority or the opinion of known and famous people. The thing is, what our mind is placed in dependence of, that is what, what will be our fear and what will be our faith. What we place our mind in dependence of will be our fear and our faith, our God and our worship. We are called to consciously place our mind in dependence of the commandments of God that demonstrate the fear of the Lord, identifying the faith of God in our heart. As specifically the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that is concealed within our heart in the form of truth of the elementary teaching of Christ is obedience to the commandments of the Lord. A carnal person as it is places himself in dependence on what is pleasant for him to hear, which benefits his flesh. Electing for yourself teachers that would deceive your ear, you then reject teachers that are placed for you by God, and together with them you reject then the faith of God, and with that then also your conscience. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. 1 Timothy 1.19 The reason why our faith is placed in dependence of our good conscience is that the fruitfulness of the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God is called to function and happen not within the aspect of our emotions, but within the aspect of our spirit, the aspect of information. And this means that the ship of our faith is able to overcome harsh uh, winds and storms of our flesh. Uh, upon one condition when our desires that are linked to and are inspired by our feelings and emotions will be placed in dependence of our obedience to the commandments of God. Therefore, impossible victory, impossible loss in battle with the enemy of our faith and our conscience, we need to never lose from account and never forget one indisputable given law, and that is that shipwreck of our faith is a voluntary and mutual collaboration of our conscience and the enemy of our faith. At the same time, victory over the enemy of our faith and our conscience is a voluntary and mutual collaboration of our faith with the faith of God, demonstrated in our obedience to God's words. According to the version Strong, there's a dictionary Strong, the word rejected applied to the given context means to do something negative in regards to your faith and your good conscience. That is continually and without interruption uh, 
linked to these acts. Make decisions that do not benefit the good conscience. Replace the primary with something secondary. Do have a dishonest trade. Sell the truth for something that does not fill. Sell yourself for the sake of satisfying your lusts. Sell yourself due to cowardice and fear. Not pay attention to what is a priority or most important. Push away because of unclean zeal. To move away because of jealousy. To distance from because of an offense. To reject because of getting rich. And resist the faith and good conscience. And of course, so that the children of God would become so blind that they reject then the faith, their faith and good conscience. It was necessary to have some, something very powerful, a powerful promoter of this or inspire, because to be able to uh, eradicate yourself in this way definitely uh, is not a cl- collaboration of our spirit with God. Third, the fear of the Lord flows from the holiness of God and is a demonstration of this holiness. Thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house, the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, <clears throat> and I am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses there, and plant vineyards there. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgment on all those around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord your God." Ezekiel 28, 25-26 The holiness of God in function is called to separate what is holy from unholy, pure from impure, evil from good, what is from man and what is from God, the righteous from unrighteous, blessing from cursing, death and uh, life and death, and light and darkness. And so the result of holiness that is in us and in our relationship with one another needs to identify the fear of the Lord that comes from God's holiness and is a demonstration of God's holiness. Fourth, the fear of the Lord produces humility and is a demonstration of humility. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Proverbs 22.4 It is not the fear of the Lord that comes first, but fear of the Lord follows humility. Humility comes first and the fear of the Lord follows. This means that the fear of the Lord is brought forth from humility. So according to this place of scripture, humility that the fear of the Lord follows is a demonstration of our obedience to God's faith that for us is the yoke of Christ. And when we accept or make the decision to take the yoke of Christ upon ourselves, which is the goodwill of God, we practically fulfill our role in the made covenant with God, that we made with God, that And we prove this by collaborating and disciplining our mouth with the truth. And this got God then the ability to deliver our soul from governing sin within our body in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, Matthew 11, 29. If we have disciplined our mouth with the undamaged truth that is within our heart, then this means that we have the results of humility before God, and this leads us into the treasury of the fear of the Lord, the result of which will then be the ability to cast off of ourself our old man, renew our mind with the spirit of our mind, and uh, we can then have our body adopted by the redemption of Christ. Fifth, 
the fear of the Lord in the format of the undamaged truth in the heart is pure as in its incorruptible nature it is eternal in God's judgments that are true and righteous the fear of the Lord is un- the Lord the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold yea than also fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb moreover by them your servant is warned and is keeping them there's a great reward psalm 19 9 through 11 you see what the fear of the lord has and so if in our heart we have the fear of the lord in the format of the undamaged truth then first we will receive the proper basis to be protected by god's judgments and by following god's judgments we then will be able to receive a great reward the fear of the Lord that is within our heart in the form of the undamaged truth that is in our heart is a demonstration of God's love agape which drives away all forms of demonic fear as demonic fear is uh, inherited by us by the sinful seed that is from our fathers and it is not able to coexist with the fear of the Lord there is no fear in love and this love is love agape. There's no fear in love agape. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. First John 4.18 According to this place of scripture, we conclude that any form of earthly fear brings forth torment, but the fear of the Lord brings forth reverence and an indescribable awe and boldness. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 One of the fallen televised preachers, uh, he had received a question, did, he, did you fall because you fell away from God? He said, I, loved, have, I have loved God always, but he said, I fell away because I did not have God's fear. It's unfortunate, but this preacher did not understand that he could never have had love uh, for God without the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is an identification of your love for God and its demonstration. Demonic fear is in countless forms of phobias and, and it is accompanied by different forms of torment and suffering. The fear of the Lord is demonstrated in blessing and cursing and independence of how we behave toward the fear of the Lord, we will either inherit blessing or cursing. And so the blessing of the fear of the Lord is obeying God's commandments. As a curse, the fear of the Lord is because it will then be a curse for you when you fall because of sin. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take take it to heart. Malachi 2.2 In this way, the demonic fear that is inherited by us from the sinful life of our fathers absolutely excludes us from the fear of the Lord and makes us uh, fear before 
the god, uh, uh, the demonic god, and revere before him. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you not? Do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? James two nineteen twenty. A person who trembles before God but does not confirm his faith with works is a person who uh, possesses demonic fear. According to Scripture, such a fear is an is in the atmosphere of of a demonic presence, as it were. And so, when it says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelations 21.8. Pay attention to the fact that the main difference uh, in hell and separations that are in hell is If you see here that it begins with cowardly, and so a demonic fear, and so a person knows what the truth is, but he's cowardly. He is not able to stand for the truth. He depends on what the majority think, and such people, although they understood, believed, but they didn't have the fear of the Lord. And so you see where the cowardly is. They are the ones that go first. They're at the front. Revelation 21.8 Of course, not all who possess demonic fear are marching uh, to hell, but those that had already uh, achieved a specific level and if a person is an infant in Christ, he is not able to possess the fear of the Lord. He uses uh, demonic fear. But God does not account this to him to to his death because he has not yet grown to full measure to be able to call him into, into God's army. He's not yet a warrior in prayer. He has not grown into full measure of growth in Christ so that he can call uh, him to be a warrior in prayer. And while a person is in such an uh, infant, while he's still such an infant and he does not answer for his actions, he, but when the time comes and he ages, as it were, spiritually, and he now needs to carry responsibility for his actions, having this demonic fear becomes dangerous and it transforms him then from a candidate of a army of light to a candidate of the army of darkness. And so an infant, infant is a candidate for the army of light in the moment, although he is tossed of by various winds of doctrine, but if he does not leave this, eventually he will be moved over to candidacy for the army of darkness. And so having demonic fear is a dangerous virus and is able to infect not just your offering and also those that you come in contact with. And so to not allow this virus to infect others, God with for his he gave this uh, requirement to his armies. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and uh, faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Deuteronomy 28. You see, so fellowship with the cowardly, uh, fearful, faint-hearted, this is a virus. But uh, fellowship with the uh, strong in heart will make 
will infect you, but with the right thing. Demonic uh, fear is truly infectious, but we're talking about spiritually. And so infants in Christ who are in slavery of their soul, such fear is not incriminated as a sin for to death. But when a carnal person then refuses to comprom- uh, to go against then the fear of demo- this demonic fear eventually refuses to confront it or to come against it this person then is removed from the boundaries of Christ or removed from the courts of the Lord which is the body of Christ because the perfect love of God that has the kingdom of heaven all of this becomes uh unacceptable to these people it becomes uh, they they begin to dislike it and they leave and so the ship that's supposed to go in the right direction goes uh, takes the wrong course and is then uh, suffers shipwreck because it 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 has this fear demonic fear just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that he should be holy and without blame before him in love and so uncleanness that finds itself in resisting of the truth is the pride of man which uh, demonstrates itself in egoism in bitterness in wanting to uh, also always have strife and conflict with one another and these are results of demonic fear seventh the fear of the Lord is the wellspring of eternal life that turns one away from the snares of death the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death Proverbs 14 27 according to this place of scripture uh, that we're going to read the fear of the Lord in the format of the truth that is concealed in the heart which is the wellspring of life it it pushes away or takes us away from the nets of darkness or traps of, of, of death and so if I have a demonic fear then I am a trap and I have caught myself into this very trap or snare I myself say this won't work for me this is not for me I I've created this for myself and so the fear of the Lord is the wellspring of life in our words in the confessions of our heart we catch ourselves in the nets of the of of the fear of the Lord the nets of, of the fear of the Lord are the nets of the kingdom of heaven in which we catch ourselves we know that we have passed uh, from death to life as it is written and as we know that uh, where the little spider catches on and comes into the courts of the Lord we need to be able to create such a web and catch ourselves into the web of confessions that we have testified uh, proclaimed from uh, proclaiming the things that are in our heart when we look more at what is around us and what people are afraid of, of uh, afraid of don't the scriptures say don't pay attention to what people are afraid of be afraid of who can draw your spirit, soul, and body to hell. People be afraid of God, and, but 
but people are afraid, oh, the pensions will go, go become lower or higher, or how will we earn our money? The governor, the Democrat is in power, he's going to be raising uh, taxes and other things. Uh, why are you depending on all of that? Because your eyes are not focused on God, they're focused on your business and you think that your business is going to help you and you're going to run into escape to a different state and something else will happen there. No, the same thing will happen there as in this state. See how many people are running from one state to another today because of different reasons, regardless, either due to prophecy, others due to the virus, as if the other states don't have this virus. Well, they say there's a republic a uh, Republican state and you can walk around without a mask and so because you want to walk without a mask uh, you want to leave uh, leave the uh, leave the church soon the Democrats will remove this also the, uh, the mask mandate but people are so afraid you see when they remove the masks more than half the people will still be wearing these masks even after mandates will be removed because they are afraid and they continue to stay afraid and they'll still be wearing them. And so the spring, spring of life uh, removes us from these nets of, of hell. And so we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so if a person abandons his church because of fear. He doesn't love his brethren. He runs away. He drives away. He thinks he's going he's gonna to save himself. You won't save yourself that way. Eighth, the fear of the Lord is the treasure that is incorruptible and unquenchable. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Isaiah 33, 6. And so the fear of the Lord is the treasure of the heart. It's called to be the treasure of the heart because according to what we've been studying, the heart contains the truth, the elementary teaching of Christ. This is wisdom and knowledge that create then safety. And there is then salvation there. And this is all the treasure that does not defile, that can't be corrupted. It's very important to understand that this treasure is one that is unquenchable and one that is incorruptible. It says that wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. When will the stability of times be? When the fear of the Lord will be your treasure. Because in the fear of the Lord, there is a strength, a strength of salvation, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. That doesn't mean it will come one day. It is here now. And if in our heart we have, we truly have the fear of the Lord, then for us, the stability, stability of times is here. We aren't afraid of anything but the Lord. We are afraid of violating God's laws. That's what we're afraid of. We don't have fear, not before the Republicans or the Demo- or the Democrats. We don't have fear of communism, of communism or fascism. We don't have fear of this. 
or Islam or Buddhism because people have feared that Islam will take control is taking control today there are more of them but I say again the time is coming that and when the man of sin comes Islam so-called Christianity Buddhists all will bend their knee before him and will acknowledge him as their God and their his faith their faith and so be calm we are approaching we are at the door when our bodies will become incorruptible and we are at that moment when our bodies will become incorrupt it says the time will come near and lift your hand your heads that means that your your salvation is coming or is close and so the fear of the Lord that we have received into ourselves the result of this will be the stability of our times and will also be the erection of the stronghold of incorruption in our body this is the stronghold of the fear of the Lord that contains much salvation and will have also the knowledge and wisdom of God and this doesn't mean that this will happen when our body will change this has happened already today when we by faith are proclaiming the non-existent stronghold of incorruption in our body is existent this is what a God accounts to us as righteousness and this is what makes us even today already safe places us into safety and we no longer are afraid of what will happen how it's going to happen sometimes people tell me let us move to Hawaii and the whole church will follow and I told them I can't go to Hawaii if the Lord didn't tell me to do this you understand I don't depend on myself and can't choose for myself what's convenient I can't as for others choose where they want to live not just me any member of the church does not have the right to that if you truly are an organic member of the body of Christ you don't have then the right just to choose wherever you want to move God already chose it for you your place of living is that church that place that you can't abandon abandoning it you will perish you say what God is only in this church understand how people react automatically I say no God is in other churches too but if you don't understand what I'm telling you these are spiritual things spiritual laws I can't change the place where we live I changed that I changed it from the Soviet Union to the to America to the United States because God had uh, given me that information that that revelation to do that and I said Lord if you want to see me in America then allow me to have the great desire to go there and if you want me to remain here God then prompts this great great desire uh, in those who in those whom he who fear him I put myself in a neutral situation and I did have this great desire then to go and I not using any prophecies or anything else I just uh, uh, utilized the opportunity and and did it in result not God could have kept me there if he, God wanted to see me there God wanted to see me here 
he wanted to send me here so that here we can erect he can erect his 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 word his truth you say this is arrogance what are you saying i'm not ascribing anything to myself i'm saying what what is god wanted that here also the stronghold in corruption be for the russian and other communities also of course amongst other churches there are there uh, there are there is the truth the truth exists and Elijah didn't know that there were 7,000 others who, who did not bow their knee before Baal. Because people ask, are there churches like this elsewhere? And I say, yes, of course there are. The reason we don't know about them is because God said to Peter, Satan asked that you be sown as wheat, but I ask that your faith not uh, be gone. And so, Sometimes when you're sown uh, as wheat, when we were, and so when you're in 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 the grind house or the place of where you're you're being ground, then you feel that connection, that contact. But people say, "Well, you're deceived. This is a, this is a cult," and I say, and they say, "Show me where another church like this is," and people feel uh, lonely as if everything is good, but they feel lonely. But this is a good sense of loneliness because God is jealous and God wants us to communicate with Him. And the reason also that the grain needs to die, and when it dies and bears fruit, then this fruit will be ground and baked in f- and fire, then will we feel also our, our connection with one another. God wants us also today to uh, be be with one another, not how and behave toward one another, not how we feel, but according to His commandments. God does not account to us that sometimes uh, we may have antagonism and antipathy toward certain people. This is uh, just a, a a part of the nature of, of a human being that that this happens but God put us all together in one place and he said I want you to uh, have a relationship with one another not based on how you feel but according to my commandment look at my commandment and behave this way uh, treat each other according to my commandments and when we do God will uh, light up our emotions and will drive out from within our heart this feeling of antagonism God did this with me, and He will do it also with all of us. Let us now uh, pray and the desire of the saints to resist their lusts, their passions, the desire to be clothed into the fear of the Lord. You can come out here, and we will pray for you. Let us bend our heads or, or and our knees, and we will pray God is on your side. Oh,
I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He is not against you. He continues to love you. He continues to suffer with you because of the sin, because of the pain that you may have in your heart. Although sin has affected you and you're hurting, the Holy Spirit is suffering together with you because He loves you. He knows that you sinned, not because you wanted to. You didn't want to, but you were slaves, you were bound, and God wants to free you from the slavery. He wants to break those chains of lusts, passions, as well as chains of fear, fear of untimely death. Close your eyes, this is your secret room. Lift your hands to God, a sign that your hands are without doubt or wrath. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see its wounds that are inflicted by sin. I hate the lusts. I hate the passions. I hate the sin with which I am bound. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me by the blood of your Son. I love you. I hate sin. I acknowledge you as my Lord and my Master. And I wait when you will bring in your sword and will destroy the stronghold of death within my body. I thank you that by faith I have accepted into my heart the stronghold of incorruption. It is within my heart. And I thank you for it. And now, I want to confess that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessing of the ancient mountains, which are all of God's promises, and the everlasting hills, which are the covenant of peace that God has made with you, and may it be fulfilled upon you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. May the Lord keep and establish within your heart His covenant and His promises that you have accepted by faith. Continue to stand in faith, and although you may sin and you may fall, remember this, that the righteous will fall seven times, but he will rise again, and the number seven, uh, he may uh, fall seven times, rise again, but the number seven is a number of fullness, and time will come when you, you will do this less and less as you remember you fall, don't lay it in the mud, get out of it and come to God. He's ready to immediately wash your wounds and res- uh, restore you, put you back into your into your place. Let us proclaim our manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy 
to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.